0: Uh, we finished our series on Exodus, which uh, you can still catch up with online if you, if you missed any of those, or in the study books, which uh, which were available. Between now and Easter, we're going to be looking at John's Gospel, um, and in what are sometimes called the farewell discourses. That is the chapters when he starts saying goodbye, fairly logically. Um, so beginning in, in they actually really begin in in. in Chapter 12, 13, but we're starting in chapter 12 today. Um, today's story is a bittersweet tale. If you think about the story that we've had read to us and we've been thinking about, it begins with a wonderful celebration meal for resurrection. And it ends with a plan to kill Jesus. Seems to be the Passion story in reverse, does it not? The passion story starts with a plan to kill Jesus. It goes through all of the trial and the execution and it ends with the resurrection story. Uh, whereas this story begins with the resurrection, if you like, uh, if we can use that term for Lazarus, the raising of Lazarus, a celebration that someone has been brought back to life. Uh, but by the end of the meal, it has turned into something very different. The the oil of of donation of perfume has become embalming fluid, uh, or potentially. uh, The whole thing has been turned around. So this story begins six days before Passover, the very opening words of John chapter 12. That kind of really dates it in this last week of Jesus' life. Within seven days, he's going to be crucified. And, and yet this is a vast proportion of John's gospel is is turned over to this passion story. And in Mark's gospel, it's nearly half the gospel is actually the passion story itself. Um, whereas the rest of the gospel is donated, is devoted to the other three years of Jesus' life and, and a tiny bit to his first early, early life. But... Um, Six days before Passover, that sets the context for today's story. Now Jesus is travelling from Galilee towards Jerusalem. Um, And uh, in John's Gospel, he seemed to have gone to Jerusalem on more than one occasion. But in in Luke, uh, he writes his Gospel so that the whole of Jesus' life is moving from Galilee down to his culmination in, in Jerusalem um but but john uh has has set this particular thing in bethany which is a small town just to the east of jerusalem and if you were traveling down from galilee you would come down the east uh you would come down the east side of the jordan uh to avoid going through samaria you would travel down there then you would cross over at jericho and uh, at jericho you then come up start climbing up towards uh, Jerusalem, and you have to go through this little town called Bethany on the way. Um, Jesus would have known it well because it was the home of his friends, Martha and Mary. And of course, in chapter 11, he's been there because he has been already raised Lazarus, Lazarus from the dead in, in, this, in this same place. And so this dinner is held in Jesus' honour, and, and it tells us quite specifically that Lazarus is one of the guests. He must be, uh, Jesus and Lazarus are the guests of honour that everyone has come to see at this meal. And, uh, and it seems that outside there's a crowd as well, all kind of craning in to try to get hold of these two celebrities to get a photograph, maybe, maybe not. Um, and it's interesting that John's Gospel, in Jesus, John's Gospel, Jesus' ministry begins with a celebration meal. In John chapter 2, he begins with a wedding and there is Jesus, rather anonymous kind of Jesus, who hasn't really uh, come into the public scene by now, uh, is at the wedding when, when the, the wine runs out. And, and we all know that story, how he transformed the wedding as he began his ministry. And after that, of course, everyone wanted to see Jesus because they were going to get free drinks. And when he turned the, 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 um, the fish and the loaves into enough for 5,000, they're going to get a free meal as well. So he became quite a celebrity. People wanted to be there. Um, and when he raised people from the dead, my goodness, we definitely want to be at, at, around the meal table with this chap. And notice, um, uh, at the, as this ministry uh, goes on, this, this meal goes on, how Martha and Mary uh, respond to it. It quite simply says, Martha served Jesus. Martha served. Yeah, just Martha served. Um, Martha was, in the other story of, of, about Jesus and Martha and Mary, always the one who was serving. And you know, I think that's great, isn't it? We need people who serve in church, in public life. You know, we need people who, who are, do those jobs of service. And, and we should never look down on those jobs of service. They're important You know, uh, Keith, bless you, you do our rotors, And people are there to do washing up. Now, I mean, that's not generally expected to be a kind of particularly prestigious job, but it needs to be done. Uh, If you want clean cups for next time, you come to have a cup of coffee. Uh, And serving, so serving is really important. And that was clearly the way that Martha saw her role. You remember in the other story, she was kind of rather... um, I'm trying to remember the right word. Uh, she was rather kind of um, not happy about Mary, because Mary was just sitting at Jesus listening to his stories, uh, whereas Martha was doing all the work. I wonder, are you a Martha or a Mary? Maybe you're a bit of each. Um, but Martha served Jesus. That was her contribution to this meal. Mary anoints Jesus. Mary has the limelight this time. Um By coming in with this pint of pure nard, nard is is an oil that comes from the spikenard plant, which is a a very valuable oil, and as we said earlier, it's actually, we're told here, it's worth a year's wages. Gosh, well, I I don't know if I bought Karen that perfume, but it wasn't worth a year's wages. Um, Much as I love Karen, um, that would be a bit over the top, I think. Although, mind you, you come, you come to the airport shops, don't you, in some of these posh airports, and there are shops there with Gucci and things and handbags for £10,000 and things like that, you know. So, so people maybe do, but uh, this was a really special thing which Mary had, and what she was intending to use it for, we don't know. But she thought, this is the moment to anoint Jesus. This is the most important thing I can do with this oil. And we have this scene... Uh, of love and devotion, which, if I might say so, is almost bordering on erotic, here is this woman pouring this oil on jesus's feet and then she's wiping it off with her hair you know with the right music and the filming techniques. This could be quite a quite a a a, a, sta- a raunchy scene couldn't it and no wonder jesus get, Jesus gets criticized by people that he that he that he actually cavorts with prostitutes, and he cavorts with, you know, tax collectors and people. Uh, This woman is showing her love to Jesus in a really expressive way, which could easily be misinterpreted. And it was costly love. It cost her all of her savings, this very, very uh, expensive oil. So these two women have both offered Jesus something in different ways. Martha has been serving at table... Mary has been pouring out this oil of love on his feet. Which is better? Well, actually, they're both good, aren't they? You know, the person who washes up is serving Jesus wholeheartedly. The person who has the gift, which is more exotic, uh, is also giving everything that they've got. The, 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 the millionaire who, who makes a donation of you know, half a million pounds to a Christian charity... That's fantastic. Uh, But the widow who puts in her might is also giving all that she can. All of these things are worship. And as we were thinking about with the tabernacle, uh, worship is not just rituals. It's actually service. Worship and service are seen as the same thing. So both these women are serving (laughs) Jesus in their own kind of way. But now the tide begins to turn. Fabulous meal to celebrate Lazarus raised. Um, good food, no doubt. Haven't heard about any complaints about the food. And then this incredible anointing from Mary, which is completely out of the blue. Who complains? Judas Iscariot. And the pretext for his complaint is this. That was very valuable perfume. And you've wasted it. It could have been sold and given to the poor. You could have given £20,000 to the food bank and you poured it out on Jesus' feet. Which is right. Giving to a charity or using it... You know, you can understand his kind of objection, can't you? Um, But the question is, what were his motives? Was, Was Judas really, really concerned about the poor? And the money, well, we're told actually that actually we now know that Jesus Judas was a bit of a thief, uh, and the fact that he had the money bags meant that he had opportunities every so often to dip in. Uh, and um, so, he wasn't just the one who betrayed Jesus, but he, he wasn't honest either. Um, but he uses the pretext of the poor to object to what's been done for Jesus. Now, I wonder if that often happens. In other contexts, I'm sure maybe you can think um, of other examples, maybe. You see, intentions and motives are key. When we come to worship God, only you and God know your motive for being here today. For some people at certain times in the history uh, of this country, to be in worship was to be seen. And sometimes the important people had their own little galleries in church. So that uh, the important people could be seen up there in church to make sure that, you know... I don't know what was in their hearts, and I'm not judging them, but but sometimes that may have been it. To to be seen and to be wearing your best hat to go to church it was important. But God um, actually knows our inner motives, doesn't he? Why we're here. God knew the motive of Martha in serving. God knew the motive of Mary in giving that act of devotion. Now, I've got a book here. It's got an old, an old book, as you can see. It's uh, Readings in John's Gospel by William Temple, former Archbishop of Canterbury. Um, listen listen to, to this little extract from um, William Temple. To the worldly mind, the acts of devotion are always foolish. God does not require our costly gifts for his honour. Better spend on good works, what is lavished on worship, so men often say. And there is a lurking truth, for what men spend on acts of worship is spent on what they share, and the gift may therefore be infected with self-interest. We ought, for example, to offer to God in worship the best music that we can, but our subscription to the organ fund at our church, this, this dates it, doesn't it? Uh, be, our sc- subscription to the organ fund at our church is likely to be more self-regarding than our support of a mission in a place we shall never see. For we ourselves should enjoy the music. Let's just translate that into modern parlance. We've got to have the latest PA system and projector system, otherwise we're not having proper worship. Okay, that's kind of 20th, 21st century, isn't it? Um, Yet it is also true that where lavish expenditure expresses the overflowing of a heart's devotion it is unspeakably precious. For love is the best thing that there is and what represents its best moments shares that preciousness. Isn't that good? So it's not about how much we spend it's about our heart and what is behind the donation or the action, whatever it might be. And uh, we can quite clearly see that for Mary, this was a wholehearted devotion. And If you read Mark's Gospel, she has an alabaster jar with this perfume and she breaks it. And she pours the whole lot. She's not keeping back any for later, um, for her wedding or whatever it may be. She's given all of it. So Jesus, when he's asked to respond to this objection, says this, Leave her alone. Leave her alone, he says. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Now, that's an interesting uh, sentence because if you look in your NIV, people got NIV? Um, you'll see that it was intended has got some little brackets around it. Now those brackets mean that that is not in the Greek text. The translators added that to make a complete sentence. So... Um, the, the assumption in here is that the, the intention that Jesus has for this gift is anointing for his burial. Now, whether Mary knew that at all, I, I, I don't think she did. I think uh, the, the, the burial of Jesus, came as a, the, the death, came as a shock, even though he did tell people what was going to happen. They didn't take it in, did they? They didn't really understand or believe that it could, could possibly happen. Um, So in the NIV, it was intended in the new revised standard, she bought it so that it could be used for his burial. Well, whatever, there was an intention of worship, but Jesus has taken our intention and used it for another purpose. Because Jesus knew that there would not be time to prepare his body for, for burial, didn't he? So on the day when Jesus' body is taken down off the cross, it's, it's late in the afternoon, and, and quickly, before the Sabbath starts, they bring down the body and they put it in this new tomb. But they, they, they didn't have time to prepare it properly, so they just wrapped it up quickly in cloths. And then on the Easter morning, the women were going to come to the tomb with the spices, maybe with that perfume. I don't know, or what was left of it. Maybe they were coming to anoint his body at which they would normally do. But they didn't need to. Because he'd already been raised. Isn't it wonderful that that Jesus has, has said, now you've anointed me for burial now, actually three days before I'm killed. Six days before I'm killed, sorry. You've anointed me now, ready for when it actually happens. Now, this next section... You will always have the poor, but you will always, not always have me. This is a, this is a well-quoted argument, isn't it? Um, what is Jesus saying? You will always have the poor. Is he saying the poor don't matter? They'll always be here. He's certainly not saying that, because Jesus' gospel, at the heart of it, is good news for the poor. And so our gospel must also be good news for the poor, not just for the rich. Um, but he's saying, uh, if you read in Mark's gospel again, although Mark's gospel is the shortest gospel, some of the passages in, in Mark's are expanded. And in the other gospels, they've been sort of condensed. And in this passage, Mark adds to Jesus' words here, you will not always have me. He said, you will always have the poor with you, and you can help them any time you want. Isn't that good? The poor will always be here. You can help them any time you want. And all, that is true of all of us. The poor are all around us. Whether it be the local people without food. Whether it be uh, the children without, uh, without homes. And without parents in, in South America. Whether it be refugees or whoever it be. The poor are always with us. And it's true, we can do anything whenever we want. All of us, I would say, are pretty rich, aren't we? We could choose to give all of our perfume to any cause we wanted, any time we want. I'm not saying that's what we should do, but we could if we want to, if we felt so moved. But Jesus says, you will not always have me. This is a unique opportunity for Mary to offer her devotion to Jesus, And to prepare him for what he's going to go ahead. And what a key task it was. So no wonder that wherever the gospel is preached, this woman will be mentioned. Mary. Isn't that fantastic? I wonder she realised at that time the impact of what she was doing to Jesus by pouring out this perfume. And so I think there's a kind of a triangle here. Worship, service, care for the poor. It's all part of serving God. And if you take out any one of those aspects, it's not really worship. If you if you go through all the right rituals and you sing the latest songs that have been recorded by the best, you know, latest songwriters, that's not worship, unless it is accompanied by service and unless our service uh, has some kind of aspect of caring for the poor. And outside, a large crowd of Jews have come. What have they come for? To help the poor. No, they've come to see Jesus and they've come to see Lazarus. The celebrities of their day. Um, So Mary had been serving Jesus uh, at this meal and they would like to be there as well. And there they are at the door. They had no idea what was going to happen. And then we're going to go through the whole of the the Holy Week story in in the next uh, few few weeks and find out and reflect again on what we know happened. But Jesus did not want to, shall we, play on his celebrity status. He submitted to his Father's will. And at the end of this passage, uh, we have the Pharisees plotting To kill not only Jesus, but Lazarus as well. Because Jesus and Lazarus were drawing attention away from them, the rightful leaders of the nation. The people who held the law, who upheld it, and and were guardians of the law. Their rights were being taken away by Jesus, because he was truly the fulfillment of the law. But Jesus did it not by hanging on to that, but by submitting to his Father's will. He was tempted to take other paths, if there's any other way, Lord, Father, may it be. um, The the devils tempted him to go down different routes, but he steadfastly set his face upon Jerusalem, as we're told in Luke's Gospel. Through the cross, he kept his eyes fixed, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who endured the cross, scorning its shame. But then it sees through to the resurrection. So although this meal started with a celebration of the resurrection and landed up in anointing for burial and the plot to kill Jesus, actually the story is the other way around, isn't it? Ultimately, we live in the resurrection. So we should offer Jesus our full devotion, worship and service. However that might be, whether it's our costly oil or whether it's our time, whether it's our care for the unfortunate in this world or whether it is just spending time to listen to a friend or whatever it might be. I'm going to leave you with a few words of William Temple before we have a short time to continue in worship as we come and lay down our lives before him. Um, It says here, the house was filled with the smell of the ointment. I can still smell it, can't you? And hopefully when you go home, you might catch wafts of it and be reminded of what Jesus has said. So William Temple says, so should every church and every home be filled with the fragrance of devoted love. How about that? If our homes homes were filled with the fragrance of devoted love,